Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Previously on Alien Encounters... A mysterious radio signal confirmed. We are not alone in the universe. A signal from an extraterrestrial would be like a, a knock on the door on a dark night when you're not expecting anyone. The effect is going to be to change our civilization completely. It's back to the drawing board for all of us. For months, scientists have been feverishly decoding their final message. Blueprints for a mysterious machine by the time they have the technology to come here, they have a technology to do anything. Whoever these beings are, they are light years more advanced. But they're not light years away. The aliens move into formation, wrapping the globe in a perfectly symmetrical net. But if this is an army, we don't stand a chance. The last alien message we received contained blueprints for some new kind of machine. Its function is becoming clear. To study the greatest force in the universe, dark energy. What is dark energy? That's the billion dollar question, isn't it? If I could answer that, sign me up for next year's Nobel Prize today. Dark energy is the coolest part of the universe. Dark energy isn't even a particle. It's a truly new kind of stuff. What it does is push things apart rather than pull them together. The galaxies are moving apart from one another. We've known that for 100 years, right? But we assume they would kind of slow down as they expanded. Gravity would see to that. But it turns out it's just the opposite. They're speeding up. So every night you go out and you see less of the universe than you did the night before. Is this dark energy machine a gift or a Trojan horse? World powers have shown a vested interest in the scientists' findings for good reason. Breaking and understanding the dark energy problem will allow us to unlock this secret of the universe. Things like warp drive, 
teleportation may become a reality. We can't even anticipate what's going to come out of that. Internet chatter hints that China has already broken ground on a $10 billion construction project and may be on the verge of testing a prototype detector well ahead of the U.S. While Beijing stays tight-lipped, rumors claim their apparatus looks far more advanced than even Earth's most cutting-edge dark energy telescope, the DECAM. Here's what's cool about the dark energy camera, bro. Big telescopes are rare in the world. A big telescope that's able to see a very large region of the sky is even more rare. Perched on a mountaintop in Chile, the DE cam will survey 300 million galaxies in 5,000 square degrees of sky. It will hunt for supernovae and measure the distance between galaxies over time and space. The dark energy camera is going to help us to measure how much dark energy there is in the universe and maybe what the dark energy is. The DE cam will be able to monitor the indirect effects of dark energy, not the stuff itself. But these alien plans could allow us to view and possibly harness the substance that makes up dark energy. So it's only natural world powers want in. Behind closed doors, diplomats maneuver to curry favor with China. It is the worst possible moment for a spike in international tension. I'd like to think that the discovery of some practical application for dark energy would bring countries and people closer together. Unfortunately, that's the sort of discovery that tends to become proprietary. This was the problem with the discovery of nuclear energy. It didn't bring people closer together. If anything, it drove them further apart. If the aliens have mastered dark energy, they could use it against us. Are the aliens overhead preparing to obliterate us all over the world? The vessels maintain breathtaking alignment. It may not be that we're talking to specific beings with encapsulated intelligence. Much more likely, in my view, that it would be some sort of hive or some sort of distributed or collective type of intelligence. Hive mind is an intelligence where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Everything is devoted to the success of the collective. It's communism without the corruption. For survival or warfare on a grand scale, few things are more effective than hive intelligence. It turns fish into ultra-efficient hunters, starlings into stealth bombers, and ants into architects. And the army of machines swarming our planet seems to possess similar powers. It's entirely possible that a hive mind could develop interstellar travel much more quickly than we could. You wouldn't have a situation where you would have different scientists, different engineers competing with different ideas. There's no dissension. No matter where people are on Earth, they all see the same synchronized display, many of them recorded to the cloud. Sometimes when I'm sitting on the bus and I see all the young folks with their cell phones, talking to one another, texting to one another, I say, the hive mind is here. We're sharing information, but we're also sharing experiences. 
So in some sense, we're interconnecting ourselves in a way that wasn't even conceivable a century ago. I don't know what you would call Google. Google is some sort of gigantic, throbbing megabrain, though it's neither living nor non-living. Smart mobs are groups of individuals all over the planet pooling their resources suddenly to solve a problem or to invent something. These ad hoc groups may be a sign of things to come. Or a sign of what's already here. At USC's Polymorphic Robotics Lab, Dr. Wei-Min Shen and his team are experimenting with a new generation of multi-purpose robots capable of working alone or in a swarm. One day, these bots may help prepare new worlds for human colonization. Each individual module you can view as a single-cell organism. And then when they get together, they become a multi-cell organism. They suddenly become much more powerful. In nature, an ant swarm is brilliant. An ant on its own, not so much. These robots can think for themselves or for the collective. They have their own brains. If you cut it in half, every one of them, whatever you cut, that first one will become the brain. Today, we see engineers building systems that can go around and do things all on their own, act individually. Then they can come together to form a collective that's even more powerful. Swarms of smart robots may soon become very useful to us as scouts or even colonists on distant planets. They'll map the terrain, plant seeds, then turn themselves into greenhouses to protect those seeds. Today, they go out to explore the environment. Tomorrow, they dig, looking for material. And maybe day after, they, they build houses or shelters. Such actions would be peaceful on an uninhabited planet. But Earth is already our home. What do the aliens want with our planet? Do they want to meet us or destroy us? When the light dissipates, the vessels are gone. But they have left something behind. 
Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Our first contact with an alien species ends with questions. In the form of thousands of shiny, jagged spheres strewn all over the planet. People are always afraid of what they don't understand. But there will always be some fool who will pick up a lit bomb and say, well, this is interesting, and it will go off in their hands. Beyond the notion of actual alien visitors, there are so many other possibilities, like alien probes, artificial intelligences. We would have to be cautious. All over the globe, governments struggle to control the situation. The streets of America look like a war zone as the National Guard, CDC, and local police search out and seize the alien objects. Governments like to control things. But the great thing about having thousands and thousands of objects dispersed all over the planet is that there is no way these can be controlled. Perhaps that's why the aliens do it that way. Even if the spheres aren't intended to harm us, they could unleash devastation. There's the possibility of being infected by alien microbes. NASA has a planetary protection office to worry about that. 40 years ago, the Planetary Protection Office quarantined the Apollo astronauts for three weeks after their trip to the moon just in case. But today, there is no protocol for the threat we face. It doesn't necessarily take giant lasers and bombs. Microorganisms would probably be the best way of wiping out life on the planet. Any alien species that develops the ability to go from star system to star system, it would be really easy for them to develop microorganisms that could target whatever species they wish based on that own species' biology. In a sterile lab, biologists find no sign of toxins or recognizable dangerous microbes, at least on the outside. Figuring out what's on the inside is another story. Scientists can't penetrate the sphere's outer shell. They run every test they know. One important test would be mass spectroscopy that helps identify all the molecules. This could tell you things like, is the material organic? Does it have biochemicals? Is it made of uh, metalloid substance? Based on techniques like this, biologists determine the sphere's shell is made of an ultra-hard yet lightweight carbon composite, a substance found nowhere on Earth 
but it might be a sign of things to come. The archaeology of our future. We run into an alien civilization that has an advanced technology that is going to be a roadmap of where our technology can go. Throughout human history, we've invented materials and technologies that could be used for harm or for good. The Chinese had gunpowder and used it for fireworks. When the Europeans got hold of it, cannons. Yes, we've invented uh, weapons and technologies that could be very deleterious to our future. But, you know, at the same time we did that, we also invented things like rockets that within 100 years or 200 years will allow some of us to get off the planet. Scientists suspect they may be looking at a material advanced enough to change the way we engineer our world, from computers to skyscrapers, or even take us to the stars. It's the kind of material humans are trying to invent today. Space travel in the future will be made possible by new materials that are extremely light and extremely strong. We still build stuff out of natural materials, iron, steel, wood, whatever. But we're at the point now where we can engineer new materials, 100 times stronger, 1,000 times stronger than steel. We now have materials that can do things that we've never done before. These new micro-lattice structures, for example, are very strong and they're very light. Some of these new materials can generate energy. For example, a type of clothing that just by your very movement could power your cell phone or your watch. These things are things that are being made right now. At the California Nanosystems Institute at UCLA, Dr. Rick Kaner is spearheading the development of the world's toughest, most advanced materials the kind of materials that could someday revolutionize space travel. So our material is tungsten tetraboride. This is the hardest synthetic metal, the hardest metal for that matter, known to man. This supermetal can scratch the hardest natural substance we know of, diamonds. It's a really old method for mixing, kind of like the alchemy of the 1700s. But using this super simple method, we're making a super hard material. A 5,400-degree flame fuses the tungsten and boride powders into a supermetal. So, what you have here is the hardest metal known to man. One of the most difficult things about space travel is the weight. And so as you make stronger and lighter materials, it takes less energy to put them into space, and it makes space travel more likely. As we stare up at the mothership, are we peering into our own future? Is the material encasing the spheres a bright glimpse of what's to come? Or a harbinger of the end? Still, silent, and sealed tight, the spheres offer no clear answer. People continue discovering them in new locations. If they're bombs, why haven't they blown up? If eggs, when will they hatch? And then, suddenly, they start to come apart. Where before there was one sphere, suddenly there are several. It happens in a split second. The shells shatter into dust and fragments, revealing two to four smaller spheres inside, like seeds. This mechanism mimics certain plants on Earth like the Himalayan balsam, which explodes open in order to sow its seeds. Dispersion is a fundamental principle of life because 
without dispersing, then you're limited to what you have in a given place. All life forms have to disperse in some way in order to gain access to new resources. Unlike the seeds of an earth plant, each of these alien seeds contains more seeds. And on, and on. Each new sphere is a smaller, identical version of the one that spawned it. The pattern echoes a phenomenon that's intrigued mathematicians for centuries, fractals. Fractals are mathematical objects that have the interesting property of when you zoom up on them, they look the same as what they did before you zoomed up on them. Then you take one small part of that pattern, blow it up, and what you get is a magnificently endless universe that you can dive into and find self-repeating systems of infinite variety. These spheres could be like nightmares that just don't end. Because one thing's clear. In their smaller, fractal state, the spheres are making it easier to move, to pick up speed, to spread. These are entities that had to go through highly competitive Darwinian processes that we have had to go through. Were they not creatures of such a process, we likely wouldn't even encounter them. It's this impulse to go beyond, which is, I think, an expression of competitive drive. As the spheres continue to multiply faster and faster, it's getting harder to escape the truth. Earth is under siege. Three days after an alien mothership deposited enigmatic spheres on Earth, the planet has been overrun. There were hundreds of thousands of them. Now, there are millions. These mysterious objects are 20 times smaller than when they arrived, and getting smaller each time they reproduce. The smaller they get, the harder it is to control them. How small will these spheres be when they're done splitting? The great Nobel Prize-winning physicist Richard Feynman said there's plenty of room at the bottom. What he meant is that getting small was going to make a big difference in the future. Nanotechnology is now one of the major frontiers. A nanometer is one billionth of a meter, the width of a few atoms placed side by side, or about 100,000 times thinner than a human hair. So it's conceivable that you could build machinery in the future so small that they're like dust. People are talking about emulating viruses where the nanomachines would then go into the cell and possibly repair the damaged DNA so that the DNA in our cells will live longer, extending human lifespan indefinitely. Because of nanotechnology, our computers will all be built into everything around us, from our clothing to our glasses, will be completely interconnected with our surroundings. But right now, alien technology is connecting with us. The fragmenting spheres have started to attach themselves to things and people, and they're not letting go. Say you're a living creature and you suddenly find yourself in a new environment. What are your opportunities? You could dig in attach yourself or invade. 
We don't like other human beings invading our personal space. If an alien object were to do it, I think you would have a lot of people panic. Even though the object hadn't done anything. The fragments don't penetrate the skin. They only cause harm when people panic and try to remove them. And when they do fall off, they leave no mark behind. In labs around the world, biologists recognize the grip of these objects. It's oddly similar to one of nature's most remarkable adhesives, the foot of a gecko. The average gecko weighs about five ounces, but the sticking power of its tiny feet is enough to carry a nine-pound weight up a wall, about the same as a 160-pound man scaling a plate glass window with eight grand pianos strapped to his back. Perhaps the best designer of all is nature itself. And we human beings do well to mimic nature in order to build technologies for ourselves. Inspired by the gecko's anatomy, researchers at the University of Massachusetts created a fabric called Gekskin. The material is so strong, an index card-sized piece can lift 700 pounds. There are lessons to be learned from nature, and you sort of think, well, why is that? Nature isn't an engineer, but nature is an engineer. The Earth is a 3.8 billion year laboratory of what works and what doesn't. The first battery was inspired by drawing of the electric organ of a fish. I can imagine an advanced uh, civilization that merged machine and, and biology in ways that are incredibly complicated and sophisticated. Are the fast-spreading fractals a melding of nature and technology? The media dubs them burdocks, a name for a type of thistle that grabs onto surfaces in order to disperse its seeds far and wide. The capsules might be a form of test, and they might not do anything at all. How we react to this invasion could determine for the aliens whether we're worth talking to, uh, whether there's any point in returning to this planet at all. We will inevitably make mistakes with these silent occupiers, as humans do every day. Right now, all we can do is try to fix the problems we know how to fix. It sent us messages on its way from the edge of our solar system. But since its arrival, the mothership has been radio silent. Earth once answers. It's time to breach the mothership. Thousands of self-dividing alien spheres have become millions, while 500 miles away, their mothership remains silent. If it seems to be a derelict, can we claim it? If it seems not to be responding, could it be that someone aboard needs help? Satellites monitor the giant ship's every move. Scientists beam message after message. We strain for a response, a sign, a clue. Nothing. What if the aliens don't want to talk? Maybe if they just want to have a look around and leave. That would be almost heartrending. We wouldn't know where they were from. We wouldn't know how to contact them. We might spend the rest of our existence as a species trying to find the alien intelligence that once contacted us 
and never bothered to contact us again. We need answers. Telescopes will only get us so much. So in the next stages, we send our technology, our spacecraft. The decision is made to mount an exploratory mission immediately. The rover's name is the Ambassador. Its mission is to penetrate the mothership and gather data about the beings within. It is modeled after NASA's most recent triumph, Curiosity. The Mars Science Laboratory, or Curiosity as it's now known, is the latest installment of the human invasion of Mars. The Mars Curiosity rover is an amazing experiment. It has to look at a temperature extreme that goes from minus 200 degrees Fahrenheit to plus 100 degrees Fahrenheit. It has advances in mobility. It can go places that previous crafts could not. It took years to prepare tools for Martian exploration. The instruments on Curiosity can be basically broken down into three different categories. Cameras, spectrometers that help us determine composition of the rocks and soil, and radiation detectors. Curiosity uses its cameras to pick out Martian rocks and soil specimens. Then its spectrometers zap the soil with lasers. The burning dust creates light, light that can be read. The way we look at the abundances of elements in the universe is we look very carefully at the color of the light. By analyzing that light, we can say quite a lot about the chemical makeup of stars and even the surfaces of other planets. Rovers are designed for planets, not motherships. So scientists scramble to rig our robot ambassador with a diverse set of the most sensitive instruments, state-of-the-art motion sensors, temperature and gas gauges, elemental analyzers and infrared cameras, because we don't know what alien life will look like until we confront it. We can't be blinded by detecting the things that resemble life on Earth. You can look for something that has a bit of metabolism. You can look for structures. That would be another indication that, you know, there's life there. There aren't going to be any simple answers. There's going to be a lot of amazing surprises. Four decades ago, 500 million people watched the Apollo astronauts land on the moon. Today, five billion tune in, hovering around any available screen Minus 10, nine, to see Seven, what happens six, next? Five, four, three, two, one, zero. And lift off. For almost three weeks, we've lived with an alien mothership in our skies. While its progeny spread like a plague across our planet. Now, we're seizing the initiative, sending an unmanned probe to pry answers from the monstrous craft. At high noon on a cool spring morning, before billions of transfixed eyes, the ambassador lifts skyward. The ambassador only has to travel a little over 500 miles into low Earth orbit 
It's a modest distance, but a giant leap for mankind. Think about the early explorers of planet Earth, people like Magellan, Christopher Columbus. These people set out into the unknown. If we're going to continue on into the future indefinitely, we have to do this. Our survival depends on it. The mothership's massive sail is as wide as the state of Texas. Solar sails are very, very, very thin, made perhaps out of spun metal or polymers. The idea being that you use the pressure of the sun's rays to provide propulsive energy, and that energy is free. The rover sends back stunning views of the ship as it hurtles over 17,000 miles an hour in orbit above us. Then, a frightening discovery. Mounted on the ship's side are two six-mile-long tubes that look like cannons. They may have weapons considerably more advanced than ours, weapons that could destroy a planet. It could rapidly explain why there are so few Earth-like planets in the galaxy now, because of earlier waves of warfare. The facts are that any society that actually could come here, whatever they want to do, they're going to be able to do it. To think otherwise would be to assume that the Neanderthals could have defended themselves against the U.S. Air Force. They could have tried. But these apparent cannons are aimed at the sails, not Earth. Once you get a certain distance away from the sun, what drives the solar sail? There are theoretical designs for solar craft that can be powered by lasers that are on board the craft. At the moment, there are no lasers pointed at us. Scientists begin phase two, landing on a moving target. When landing the Curiosity rover on the red planet, NASA's engineers had to aim for an object orbiting the sun at over 53,000 miles per hour. Think of a quarterback trying to hit his receiver. If you throw the ball where the receiver is, you miss him because the receiver's moved on. So you have to know where the planet's going to be and lead the planet with your spacecraft. For the Ambassador rover, the challenge of sticking the landing on the mothership will be even tougher. A spacecraft doesn't have the gravity of Mars. It doesn't have an atmosphere to dissipate velocity. So you would literally have to match speeds with a spacecraft and somehow physically affix your spacecraft to it and then go aboard. The world watches breathlessly as the ambassador matches the speed of the mothership and positions itself along the flank. It scouts for a place to land and attach itself. The sprawling alien mothership has invited Earth's emissary, the Ambassador Rover, inside. It's a moment bigger than the discovery of any continent. Only this new world is pitch dark. I'm always amazed in science fiction where the alien spaceship is enormous and consists largely of empty space. And of all the impractical things to put in an interstellar craft, empty space is probably the least practical and useful thing. It might look like the tunnels and burrows of a groundhog, or it might have hexagonal honeycomb spaces. That would be a, a very efficient way of dividing up space. 
the interior of an alien ship, we're not going to be able to understand it. And it might work in a whole other way that would be mind-boggling to us. That's the real adventure of discovery. As the first images come in, we see a giant mechanical puzzle. Does it carry passengers? Did it once? One of the problems that we have when we send rovers to other worlds hoping to find life is that it's very hard to say what life is, particularly when it's life as you don't know it. Is the entire ship a single machine of giant proportions, controlled by itself? I think it is possible at some point in the future to grow architectural structures rather than to have to build them. We're trying to make our, our buildings smart, responsive, and act in accordance with our presence. In many ways, what we're looking for is an animal <laughs> that cooperates with us, that we can live in. So why not cut to the chase and just make that building an animal? In here, the atmospheric pressure is zero. The temperature is 100 below zero. Nothing unusual there, if you're in outer space. But one reading stuns scientists. The mothership's gravitational field is higher than the moon's, higher than that of Mars. The interior of the ship has fully 54% of Earth's gravitational force. Gravity is something we're all familiar with. It's what keeps us down here on the Earth. Some things about gravity are very well understood and some things are mysterious. Humans have no idea how to create artificial gravity which would transform spaceflight as we know it. Somehow, this radically advanced species has managed to do it. Can we get beyond our primitive fears? Not just of aliens, but of their devices, of whatever they leave behind, of what might be a gift or might be poison. We have to do the right thing. We might only get one chance to do it. To me, that's the scariest thing of all. We don't get a chance to make mistakes with an alien visitation. As the rover progresses through the ship, an announcement comes from China. They are training their new dark energy detector on the mothership and are witnessing activity churning around the perimeter. As billions of eyes watch, the rover's sensors suddenly spike. There's oxygen in this part of the ship, carbon dioxide too. One wall is warmer than all the others. Ambassador discovers what looks like a chamber shot through with arteries, a rhythmic beating. The rest of the ship may be a machine. This place is clearly more. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.